last night. A vision. I saw a world full of people. Everybody was dancing and screaming loud. They were just there to listen to the music. It was deep. It was underground. Let's turn the world into a dance floor. This is a State of Trance podcast. Yes, and welcome. My name is Ruben Ronde for the State of Trance podcast with an absolute legend in the studio today, all the way from Scotland, David Forbes. How are you doing, man? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. It's nice to have you here, finally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an absolute pleasure to be here in this incredible studio. It's nice, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's, I mean, this, I think this is the third time I've been in here, but it <laughs> seems to... In previous times, I think you've been here during like Amsterdam dance event, for example. Yeah, and I, I think... I for State of Trends before, as a pre-party. Yes. And yeah. it's a whole different vibe because then the studio is packed with right, it. Yeah. a lot of people. It's crazy warm in here. Now it's a nice little temperature. Yeah, chilled. <laughs> you know, I think I was over here for um, Rich's... Oh, Pure Trends. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, yeah, yeah. Rich has... Uh, Solarstone has done a few shows here live in the studio. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely great. Uh, well, nice to, uh, nice to have you here today. I'm going to have a couple of questions for you uh, by myself, but also okay. from fans because we asked them to submit anything through Instagram and okay. Twitter. So yes. we'll get through those That's as well. interesting. Yeah, there's some interesting ones in there. So <laughs> I'll, I'll promise you. But first, um, this is how I start every podcast. Yeah. Always. There is always a point in, in any artist's life that they are like, Okay, I want to be an artist. I want to do make start making music, for example. What sparked you into making music? Um, or who? Or what? Yeah, what? I DJed in a club a way back in the day called Hangar Thirteen, and there's a a well known DJ from Scotland called Trevor Riley mm-hmm. who introduced me to an amazing keyboard called the Insonic. EPS 16 plus prior to seeing this keyboard my brain hadn't quite computed how music was actually made mm-hmm. you know and um, the minute I saw that I'd been DJing for maybe two years prior to that and the minute I saw that keyboard I knew that that's what I wanted to do which year is this? 19 oh, 92 really? wow yeah. That's a that's a long. I was still very little. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen, <laughs> nineteen ninety two, maybe ninety. No, no, nineteen ninety two. So you were DJing from nineteen ninety already. Pretty much, yeah. I, I was DJing in a club when I was seventeen. I told clearly. I told them I was eighteen. You know, but back then. So you, when you were seventeen, you were DJing. Yeah. How did you start DJing when you were seventeen? Because these are different times, different yeah. different eras. Yeah. This is the, the the pure beginning of dance music. Yeah. That we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, when I left school at 16, I joined the army. Yeah. You know, so I went into um, the juniors, which is like a, a longer version of the the regular army before you get posted into the, the main kind of grown-up army mm-hmm. as such. And um, I started buying records down south. I was based um, down in um, Wiltshire in England. And... Um, yeah, I started buying records and my friends who were a couple of years older than me were started going to, you know, it was maybe 1990, the rave scene was starting to kick off and um, I went to a club and I was giving it a whole, wow, you know, and I started giving the DJ four or five records that I'd bought, like Mentasm, Second Phase and, 
you know, dominating human resources and stuff. And the DJ in that club wasn't playing that type of music. So you brought these vinyls to the club? Pretty hey, much. please play these. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And he's seen the change in the crowd with playing the vinyls that I took up. So a few months progressed and um, he gave me a few shots here and there, a few goes at DJing, you know, playing three or four records at a time. And um, and him just playing my records pretty much the rest of the night sort of thing, you know, when I, when I was um, back home. So I quickly kind of um, figured out that, you know, this is what I want to do. You mm -hmm. know, I need to make a, I, I made a conscious decision to leave the army at that point, you know, and, and you know, and, and I wanted to be a DJ at that point, you know, that was prior to seeing this incredible keyboard. Of course, you know, but after I seen that keyboard, you know, I knew what I wanted to do. So you started DJing first with these, well, now they're old school classics. Yeah, yeah. And then at a certain point you were like, okay, I want to make these tracks for myself yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, that was that, you know, and <clears throat> I think it's like everything else in life, you know, I didn't need anyone to give me that enthusiasm or that drive to do it. You know, I was just mesmerized with the whole process. And that's all I could think about constantly, about making music and buying records and really It was like an obsession. It was, it was, and even still to this day, waking up every day, you know, and, and having the, the opportunity to go into the, the studio and, mm -hmm. and create music, I'm so, still blessed. Okay, we are in 1992, 1993, where yeah. you just got your first keyboard. Yeah. And no offense to producers right now, because right now, Making music is fairly easy if you compare it to these times. How long did it take you to, from the moment that you got your keyboard, yeah. that you you managed to create something that was releasable? Um, or what did you even make? Because I, I, I'm thinking back to that period because I wasn't into dance music back yeah. then either because I was I was very young. I was yeah. in grammar school, so there were no any there were no examples. There was no reference tracks yeah. or anything like that. You were in a period of time that you had to create this stuff for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. All at the time, you know, you know, that, that process of sampling, you know, hearing a breakbeat or a kick drum and cutting it, you yeah. know, and, and knowing that you only had a few seconds of sample time. I remember my 21st birthday, I bought an Akai S950, you know. A sampler. Yeah, sampler. Yeah. yeah. And then... Um, I had an Atari 1040 ST. I had an eight-channel mixing disc. I had a, a delay unit from the guy that brought in the sound system into Hangar 13, the club, yeah. who does tours, operas and all that roundabout. Massive company now. And I always remember, he. I still meet him in Heathrow. <clears throat> He's coming back from really? Italy and I'm probably <laughs> coming back from wherever. And I always meet Tommy Gorman. Um, and a, a Witherspoons or something like that. It's like, oh, we will, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up and chat about. So you had a, a mixer of how many channels? Eight, eight channels? Eight channels, yeah. So that basically means that right now, if you have Ableton, you would have eight channels. That's yeah. what it is. So you yeah. had a sampler, yeah. you had a delay, you had a, an a alpha, kick drum. Yeah, an Alpha Juno 2. And, and that's it? That's it, yeah. Okay, and do you still remember what the first track was that you ever released? Yeah, I, again, I released it with... Um, the, the guy that was speaking about earlier, Trevor Riley, and another guy, um, Neil Skinner. You know, it was called The Hangar EP. Okay. And, um, As a dedication to the club for yes, you. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, because at that time, at that club, we were bringing over Die Witness, Human Resource, you know, Hard Floor. 
They were know, all coming over to play know, at the club. Ramirez, okay. you know, so we were pretty, we were pretty cutting edge in that respect. You know, we were bringing over all these. Europeans. And this all started with you giving these vinyls that you bought to the resident no, the, DJ. No, this was another club. Oh, okay. I'd moved on to that okay. club. That was my very first kind of introduction to mm-hmm. uh, music in, in a club called the Mayfair in Glasgow. And um, yeah, so and then you became resident in the hangar, and then yeah, 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 and we moved on to kind of making records. So I think it was maybe nineteen ninety. 1992, I think so. Do you still have these tracks? That yes, you yes, yeah. I do in vinyl, yeah. yeah. Oh, on I've, vinyl even? Yeah, yeah, I've got all these records in vinyl. You know, all the records pretty much that I've released on vinyl, I went and hunted them all down and, and you know, made sure I've still got them all. It was just one the other day with one of the boys in my football team. He was going through his attic. <laughs> and he found, he found one, one of those. And he's like, I've got one of your records. And I'm like, well, keep that for me. I don't have that one. That's one of the ones that I don't actually really? have. Really? Yeah. You know, so he's kept it for me. I'll pick it up on Sunday. Awesome. And then uh, uh, from 1993 all the way to, uh, uh, because I'm aiming at the year 2000 when you released The Question Must Be Asked For. Yeah. In between that period, um, you released music not as David Forbes, but as different projects or yeah, no, was, and what kind of genre did you? It was more, you know, I was releasing, in the early <clears> days it was rave. Then I moved on to more kind of hardcore. Yeah. You know, so I got my first release on Combined Forces. Okay, Believe yeah. Not, you know, which is bought up by Armada now. Yes, yeah, yes. The catalog. So it, was, it was on Baby Boom Records, which was a ha- a huge kind of Dutch label at that Baby point. Boom was, let me explain, is it because you don't know this if you're younger than we are. <laughs> but Baby Boom was one of the, people would, you could see people walking around down streets with Baby Boom yes. on, their, on their shirts. Yes. Because I think um, the rave and the hardcore culture is actually the last subculture that music ever uh, brought to this generation, to yeah. be honest. And our baby boom, I remember vividly. You had yeah, baby boom, Rave you had records. A, uh, yeah, you had yeah. dwarf records. Yeah, you know, so I was releasing stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, good yeah. times. Yeah, they, they were good times. So I was releasing tracks on. There wasn't many UK artists. It was mostly Dutch, German, yeah, Belgian. Yeah, yeah, it was all Dutch. You know, and, and incredible producers. You know, so that was a huge moment for me. And I remember, I remember, you know, you know putting on to that, recording it, putting it on a tape, taking it to the post office, sending it over to Holland, you know, and getting the the phone call to my house. And I remember running around my living room in sheer elation that <laughs> Baby Boom had signed one of my tracks, you know. Think about the process in order to get a track signed in the early 90s, you know, of, you know, you had to have a mixing desk, you had to have MIDI cables, you had to have... You had to be able to record it and yeah, to tape and then know, send it off. Exactly, you know, so there was a whole process, you know, so I was absolutely elated. And I, I, and following on from that, I was just um, just releasing hardcore, doing hardcore parties in Switzerland and, um, you know, over here in the Netherlands and stuff like that, some huge parties. And then in maybe 1997... You know, the hardcore scene and other, other rave culture scene started to die down in the UK and stuff like that. And yeah. I thought to myself, you know, through my my young life, I'd got to a certain period and all the things that I, I wanted to do, mm-hmm. then moved on to something else. And I thought... You got bored of it and yeah, then you moved on. Yeah, I made a conscious decision that I'd invested too much time and energy. Mm-hmm. And I had so much, you know, enthusiasm and passion still that I wanted. I wasn't just going to move on to something else. I was going to continue, even if it took me two years, which it did, mm-hmm. sitting in my living room. My studio was in my living room at the time. Um, and I just sat there and just forged 
my sound, you know, and... Um, so you start altering your sound? Yes, because the hardcore thing <coughs> had died and trance started to come through. We didn't, you know, I didn't know what it was at that particular point. You know, it was just this new style of music with all these amazing melodies and whatnot, you know. It's the, the, the upcoming times of uh, Ferry Armin, Tiesto, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, that was it, you know. And in England, you, of course, had Churchill, Scott Bond, yeah. those guys. Yeah, so I, I released a few tracks on Telica Records and Eve prior to doing questions yeah because that was I, I because I remember vividly uh, buying this record myself because I was uh, I, th I think it was in in The Hague and um, I'm not sure which DJ I think every DJ was playing it yeah. to be honest and then I went to uh, The Hague it was a record shop called Rhythm Import and I still remember the guy that was standing behind the counter Tjerk he used to work at Armada for a little while as yeah, well yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and he, he was like yo you need to check this record And it was, yeah, David Forbes, question must be asked. I was like, holy shit, I've been wanting this track for so long already because everyone is playing it. Yeah. And for me, that that was your first release as David Forbes. Or, or, yes, it yeah. was. Yeah, it was. Prior <clears throat> so there was a transformation that was complete between yeah. 97 and 2000. Yeah, yeah, and prior to that, I'd released some stuff on Noom. Okay. Under different aliases, but I wasn't quite confident enough to tag my own name to it. You know, I wanted it. I don't know, I just wanted a track. To, I wanted it to be the right track to yeah. put my own name to it to push um, to push forward. Do you still remember that track that you were producing it? Yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, it's an old cliche, but it genuinely, Ruben, it genuinely was the fastest track that I'd ever written because I wrote it up to the breakdown and all I did was do this 16 or 32 bar drop and just copied and pasted yeah. the first part of the track to the end and it was done. Yeah, that was, I, I remember that very well. And there was also a period of time that uh, Trends was making the jump from uh, from underground to mainstream, yeah, basically. Yeah, it was, yeah. Because I think it was, it's been quite a chart hit in, in several countries as well, I think. Yeah, 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 it did really well. It did extremely well. I, I mean, I mean, it was a big track, you know, but there was tracks out at that particular point that were just... Smashers. Supersonic tracks, you know, just worldwide smashes. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it was just, it was just, I didn't quite take it all in at that particular point because I was doing public domain stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I was kind of That juggling. was even bigger. Yeah, I was kind of jug. I was like the fifth Beatle in public domain, you know, yeah. I was, I was part of it, you know, we helped write the album and stuff like that and, um, and had the opportunity to do some incredible gigs with the guys, you know, and still obviously friendly. Yeah, that was the, the next thing I was going to jump on because you have a, a very special relationship with Mark Sherry, of course, with uh, Thick as Thieves. Yeah. But in, you also mentioned that you did uh, Public Domain together. Yeah. And with Operation Blade, I think you had a, was it was it top five in the UK? Yeah, I think it top was. Top 40? Top, top five, yeah. I think it peaked at number three. You know, I actually wasn't involved in the making of Blade, you know, Operation Blade. You know, um, Mark, James and Alistair that track and I was working with Malorca who was in quite a kind of famous um, rave band called Ultrasonic at the time yeah. and we were doing a lot of work together and they needed an MC to go on top of the pops <laughs> so that <laughs> and, you know obviously Malorca and Mark and myself were all friendly from back in the day from this club this Hangar 13 club you know and um, I remember Malorca saying ah oh, you know I, Do you think I should do it? I'm giving it, mate. It's top of the pops. Well, of course, you, know, you have to do it. do it. You know, yeah. it's, it's iconic. You know, and, and and that's then after that things progressed and we helped um, write the album and stuff along with Mark, James, and Alistair. 
and it was incredible times you know it was really special times that's I think um, that has to be like public domain was one of the biggest dance acts on the planet at that moment yeah yeah I mean yeah it was wasn't it was just such a huge track. it's so weird that that the, a track like that became so successful yeah because it's 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 a hard, it's not hardcore but it's a it's a full on club track yes, basically yes, a festival track yeah it's full on kind of hard house sort of vibes isn't it And then yeah. f- further on, you you continue working with Mark Sherry. You even remixed him more recently. Yeah. But at the, um, I don't want to jump too far ahead. But um, from uh, questions must be asked. You released answers and some yeah. other tunes as well. Yeah. Um, and at a certain point, you started Thick as Thieves also with Mark Sherry. Yeah. How did you come about working together with him again Do you know after operation uh, after public domain, of course? Yeah, I mean, I, I was doing quite a bit of stuff on Outburst anyway, yeah. you know, and. Obviously, moving from moving from the answers and kind of public domain, that's when I started doing stuff for Armada. Yeah, I think it was maybe two thousand and seven. Yeah, two thousand seven. Yeah, was on. I remember that very well. Yeah, I mean, I dealt with you on a regular basis yeah. even back then, and um, I think it was on Remy's label, wasn't it? Yeah, sixty yeah. sixty yeah, recordings. 68 yeah, recordings. Another legend of the scene. Um, yeah, I mean, so I mean, Mark, me and Mark are always right. We're going to do something. It's just. Again, we don't even live that far from each other. It's like 15, 20 minute drive from each other. He's just so busy and I'm so busy in the studio. But, <laughs> you know, we've always wanted to, you know, get a wee project going. And, um, and I think the, the more the kind of techno sound suited the both of us, something a bit different, you know, something just, out, I wouldn't say out our comfort zone, but something that, um, you know, the two years could bring some fresh ideas to the table and just try and forge ahead with them. Um, That kind of techno hard edge sound, which seems to be extremely popular at the moment, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, you had the qu- questions must be asked for us. And did you also have a period after that that you got bored of making that kind of sound? That's why you made more underground stuff that you released on 68 recordings, for example. Is that <coughs> something you mentioned it before that you got bored of certain sounds that you yeah. need to switch again? Yeah. I mean, I was writing a lot of tech kind of Steve Lawler type material mm-hmm. after. See, when I wrote questions, I was more into tech house, sort of more progressive stuff. I didn't know what... What you were doing. Yeah, I didn't really <laughs> It's know. It's accident. Yeah, I didn't really know what sound. It, was, it wasn't until I started doing stuff on, more stuff on Eve and meeting Marcus Schultz way back in the day. You know, mm-hmm. Marcus, when I was doing some stuff with Pablo Gargano and he was running Eve and Marcus Schultz had a studio next door. You know, meeting Marcus in 2000, 2001 maybe. You know, when we were all starting our journey back yeah, then, you yeah. know, look how big Marcus is now, you know, he's huge. And um, I wouldn't say I get bored, you know, but I just, um, I was just kind of still, I was doing some stuff for Remy but, Remy, but I was still doing some stuff for Combined Forces, which Armada had acquired at the time, yeah. and it was still quite tech trancy, you know, it was still quite tough, hard days. I think I've always been quite versatile. You know, oh yeah, we that's earlier, very much. Yeah, yeah. You know, one minute I can be writing progressive house, the next minute I'm writing. Yeah, because that's that's very interesting to me because uh, we also had a, a question from uh, Fadi Insuluet, for example. When can we expect new Hallstocker remix, Hallstocker uh, music? Because that's one of your aliases. Because besides the stuff that you release yourself, you also create a lot of music for other people. Or you're yeah. an engineer. Yeah. But Hellstucker, uh, I remember myself, I, I had the pleasure of signing uh, some music of, of Hellstucker on my label. I didn't even know it was you beforehand. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, the question is, when can we expect some new Hellstalker music? Because the last one has been on Pure Trends, if yeah, I'm not wrong, yeah, so, with uh, yeah. Solar Stone. Yeah. So you're working on something like the that? The album's done. Oh, album is done. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the album's done. It's been done since last year. I wrote it during lockdown. Yeah. You know, so that... Got, but you're just holding it off now? Yeah, I've just got a 13 track album sitting there. You know, um, I've still to decide what we're going to do with it first and <laughs> foremost, you know. It's just been sitting there. It's, you know what, it's, it's quite different from the first album. Still got all the same elements, but it's still more soundscapes and, you know, um, a lot of it starts without any kick drums and stuff like that. You know, I think it was just that period in time when we are all in lockdown, you know, a lot of us kind of can sit back. It's not and, really dance floor music, yeah, it's more... Yeah, yeah, that's it. I wouldn't say... I mean, there's some dance, to music. Yeah, there's some dance floor tracks on the album, but I'd say half of it is quite kind of... I don't know, you know, I think we all went through tough times during the lockdown and stuff and I think that certainly comes through in some of the tracks, you know, you can, not that it's downbeat or anything like that, you know, and, you know, it's just... It's just different. You, yeah. you notice that it's not written with the dance floor in yeah, mind. It's yeah, something yeah. that you need to... And that's what, you know, I want to create Hallstucker tracks that are, you know, for, for the dance floor, but at the same time, it gives me that freedom, Ruben, you know, just to mm -hmm. do what I want with it. And I don't feel burdened or under pressure to pigeonhole myself into certain categories or or it has to start it has to have this intro or it has to have this many bars yeah. to the breakdown you just do whatever it yeah. just yeah just whatever whatever comes is out is it a bit of a uh, Jekyll and Hyde thing that you have different aliases because for example Paul Denton was here uh, in the podcast as well and he says on one side I create this, this beautiful uplifting music on one yeah. side and on the other side I have my tech alias that's the music that I make when I'm angry or sad yeah, or something yeah, like that yeah. so it's a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde thing is that the same for you? yeah yeah it probably is yeah it just depends what, what mood I'm in you know and what what deadlines I've got you know what <laughs> commitments I have you know um, it, is, it is a bit of Jekyll and Hyde again I think it boils down to how I'm feeling and like I said we were speaking earlier you know in lockdown it was more this kind of stuff yeah yeah I mean bizarrely in lockdown I was probably the most productive I've ever been I'm sure a lot of, but even for releasing music you know I never stopped you know I was just releasing yeah I thought it was just quality music every every month sort of thing with you guys and other labels as well I managed to score my first Beatport number one you know during that period and stuff like that you know so it was a very productive I tried not to I tried to yeah, because on one side you had a lot of people, including myself sometimes, that you didn't manage to make music for a month or something like that because you just don't have the inspiration anymore that you normally get from a dance floor. Yeah. But you don't need that. No. No, you can just sit down, head down, you just make music. Yeah. yeah. That's a blessing. Yeah, as yeah. I was having a conversation with Milwaukee the other day, funnily, about that. And um, he said the same thing. He says, you and Mark don't need any... Um, inspiration you just go into the studio you don't need a spark no you just make music that's yeah. what you do I think that just spends I think that just that's just spending more than half my life in there in a the dark room yeah people <laughs> people ask how many hours a day do you spend in the studio and I says it'd be easier if you asked me how many days or how many hours I spend in the house it'd be easier to answer you know because I've tailed it back a lot now, you know, I used to spend far too much time in the studio, but now I, I seem to have a, a great Healthy time, balance. A healthy balance. Yeah. I think you need that. And uh, you already mentioned you uh, released music with, uh, well, last 
let's say last year you released with Outburst, uh, Future Sound of Egypt as well, and yeah. mostly on Who's Freddy One Trade, of course. Yeah. But you also started in think it 2010. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you started your own label, Area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are you still planning to do something with that? Yes, I, I, I am. You know, I just like to just put tracks out. I'm not. Again, we're having a conversation. I, I want to put tracks out that. Yeah, I don't want to just be putting another track. Out, yeah, yeah, and just you know, not promoting it and not playing it. You know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just be a factory. I want to put out stuff that I, I feel really yeah. passionate about. Because if I feel passionate about it, it means I'll put my full weight behind the, that particular track, whether it be my own or someone else's track. So, you know, I might go three or four months without releasing a track on Aria, but so be it. I have you the know, same, just, yeah, with, just, with, with statement recordings. So. Yeah, it just is what it is. Uh, JJ Cool four three five seven wants to ask you any plans for a new album? Well, you have the Hellstalker yeah album, which is to be announced. Yeah, release. Yeah. Is, yeah. is there any? Um, well, not a Dave Forrest album, but but do you already have like a a plan rolled out that you're going to be uh, releasing that? Because I see another person asked Ellie Wheels on Twitter actually will be will we be hearing Hellstalker very soon again? Yeah. So there's a lot of demand for it to be honest. Yeah, there is. Do you know? Funny, see when I actually released the first the first few house Tucker tracks, the interest was incredible. Yeah. From, even when I came to ADE, you know, Leon Bullier, you know, just, I, I love the guy's stuff, you know, and he was sitting, that's house Tucker stuff you're doing, mate. He was, I mean, Leon's, you know, he does, he's, he's got his own sound and he's an incredible yeah. producer, you know, but, but just to hear him actually utter those like, house, hmm, okay. house, yeah, you know, and, and more and more people were coming up and asking me about house, but it's hard just trying to, trying to find the time to to make all this music, you know, but I'll, I'll, I'll certainly want to do a lot more house stucker stuff. So you have the album, is, is it signed already? Is no, it? no, it's not signed, no, no. It's oh, okay, just... I see your potential uh, walking around here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump to the next question. Elena69Luca wants to know, who is your own favourite producer? Wow. Um, That's one of the hardest questions that yeah. you can ask a producer. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's. Okay. When was the what was the last tune that you hear that you heard in the last couple of weeks that you were like, okay, this is dope. Yeah. Um, do you know what? I love Paul stuff. I love Paul Denton stuff. I love I love Schneider stuff. Yeah. I thought Schneider. Bring the noise. The last yeah, one is yeah, nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And I get on really well with Andy. I speak to him on a reg regular basis. You know. Um, and I, I think he's a really cool, a, a really cool. Producer, and I've spent some time over in the studio, and, and likewise, and actually starting working on a new collab pretty soon as well. You know, but I like Andy's stuff. Andy's stuff's really good. John, Brian, there's that many incredible producers out there. So there is lots of new producers coming through as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is great. I think the the funny thing is actually that uh, now you mentioned Snyder, of course, and. Uh, also, uh, Brian Kearney, Will Atkinson, of course, yeah, fellow well, Scotchman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you see that they are bringing like, um, it's, I would say, an updated version of the 1998-1999 sound. Yeah. How do you see that? Because you, you hear elements in their tracks that you're like, okay, that reminds me of the Fins the More time. Yeah. And the only other side, you have Snyder with his last one. I, I think it was Bring the Noise. That's uh, the last track. Armin played it at Ultra last week as well. It's, it's proper... Rave almost. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that a vibe that's going on right now in in Scotland, for example, yeah, or in Ireland? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. You get young kids like Billy and that coming through as well. You know, David Rust is doing his thing. You know, Will's doing his thing. 
Um, I mean, obviously Schneider comes from that background anyway. You know, he comes from that that from the rave, rave area, that yeah. rave era, era as well. You know, which you can see even in the last collab we done together on his label. You know, it was called Flashbacks. There was a lot of kind of rave elements yeah. within that track, just because you know that's that's the the kind of isn't that interesting that 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 kind of sound was created pretty much through lockdown. Because those are club tracks. Yeah. 100% club tracks. Yeah. yeah. And I, I also see it with Ben Nicky, for example. He plays this kind of sound as well. It's like old school, old school elements, like the, the sound that we grew up with and kids are loving it. Yeah, they seem to, they seem to do. You know, and it's great. I think you have to embrace. I'm, I'm, I don't want, I never ever want to turn into a tire kicker. You know, <laughs> just talking about what I used to do. Yeah. You know, I think you always have to be reinventing yourselves and coming up with new new sounds, new, you know, just trying to be creative on a regular basis in order to push the scene forward. I'm a great believer. I'm still really passionate about trance music and just, you know, the music scene in general, you know, and I always want to see new blood coming through. Yeah. You know, the the, the scene pushing on as, as, as far as possible. And then, of course, you have your uh, Sabrov uh, alias as well. Yeah. yeah. Forbes turnaround, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, When when you play you played one of those tunes in the in the state of trans guest mix this yeah. week, when I hear that I I have to think of all these main stage artists that are playing techno right now. Yeah, that fits in perfectly. Yeah, is that something that you that you think that's gonna grow even more that kind of sound? Yeah, it seems because it's I mean, it's underground. Yeah. It's underground underground going yeah. main stages. I actually get really excited when I play that music. I mean, really excited. It's proper techno, yeah. like hard techno. Yeah, and it's it's up at the tempo where. You can you can finish the end of your sets with that sort of music, and it excites me. Yeah. And any type of music that excites me, I'll play. You know, which is great to see. And it, when I'm when I'm writing it in the studio again, I seem to feel as if I've got a free reign as well. You know, you can just push it as hard as you can and just make the sounds as. Are you a studio dancer? I'm a seat bouncer. Yeah, because because that the yeah. that's the typical kind of music that you that you sit in the studio and you pull a bass face. You're like, yeah, mm. that that's that's exactly it. And, <laughs> and the kickback track, even when I was doing it, I wanted to get the breakdown as distorted and as raw as I could get it, you know, and just so you are pulling plenty of bass faces. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, talking about you were just uh, saying distorted, but there's an, um, a question from Light Control Official. Which plugins do you use for your tech trends baselines? A nerd question, but uh, a question yeah. that I'm wondering <clears throat> as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I use a lot of distortion. I use a lot of multiband compression and a layer. I don't just... I think Ferry does this as well. I've seen Ferry. So th when I'm in my writing process, see at the end of my track... I have nothing in MIDI. Everything's no, gone. No, no, no. Yeah, Ferry does the same. Yeah, he, so. I sat in the studio for uh, making Bloodstream with him, uh, Artune, and uh, I'll let you finish that first. No, because no, no. Yeah. Uh, Because um, what I noticed with him, because when I make music, I, I have the plugins. They are just there all the time. Yeah. But he is, okay, this is good. Dedicate, bounce to audio. Yes. Next. Done. You have to commit. That's exactly The me. commitment, but it's... Yeah. It's it's nuts. Yeah, that's me. See if I get something that's in, move on to the next one, it's in, move on to the next one, you know. Because then you you end up pondering and procrastinating over a sound. Yeah. You spend two days in a baseline. I don't want to be spending two days in a baseline. <laughs> so that's the secret. Yeah, I, I Committing. think so. Well, it's, yes, 
Exactly. But first, before before you commit, which which plugins are your go-to? Because I know you use the virus a lot still. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what other plugins do you use for for your bass lines, for example? Well, I'll use. Um, I'll give them a wee secret away, but you know. Yeah, it's, it's secret. Yeah, no one's yeah. listening. It's yeah, fine. yeah, that's. <laughs> um, Omicide, Own Boys, Omicide is a really good plugin. Okay. You know, um, but again, you, you need to know how to tame the beast. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it can it can run away from you quite easily. And um, again, that's pretty, I mean, it's all about, it's all about layers for me. Again, going back to the question about the audio, again, this is another wee trick, another wee kind of studio tip for anyone trying to do bass lines or just stacking sounds in general and they want to stack. People think, oh, you know, to make an, an amazing bass line, you have to have 12 layers or you have to have 15 layers or you have to have 200 channels in your arrangement. You don't need any of that kind of nonsense. What you need is to pick the best sounds for that particular thing that you're trying to create. With the right processing. Yeah, so I use the virus a lot and it doesn't, so without going too nerdy, with analog sounds, especially the virus and, and bass sounds in general, they're constantly moving. Yeah, that's, so, what's, that's what makes it so nice. So if you're running, if you're doing a, a running bass line, mm -hmm. I'll burn eight bars of that, but I'll set, I'll, I'll loop the first bar and I'll just skip a bar at a time to hear because it changes every, yeah. every bar's different and I, I like that commit bang and next sound do the exact same and leave that top layer it's like comping vocals second layer it's exactly what it is Ruben yeah. it's like comping vocals That's but then for the bass line yeah for the bass line so and you'll hear it lock in then you move to the next one and you'll hear it lock in then you can adjust your volumes you know and 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 it will all gradually just sit in, but it's it's about getting the right sounds, picking the right layer, and, and, and then gluing it together correctly. I love that. That's a good you know. tip, ladies and gentlemen, for free here in the podcast. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, let's. Uh, we're, we ran out of time already, but we, I still have some uh, questions that I want to ask you. Uh, George Gigliotti wants to know what is your favorite track at the moment. I would say Schneider's "Bring a Noise." Yeah, yeah, that's the one that's doing it for it's me. It's a cheeky one. Yeah, it's really really cool. You know, it is a really, really cool wee track. And again, um, fair play to him. Yeah, I agree. That's one of the, the very cool ones. Um, those were the questions already. We has, I still had a lot of questions myself, but we ran out of time again. So we have to ask you uh, to come back at a, a certain moment. I would love that. Yeah. Absolutely love that, Ruben. Well, thank you so much for answering all the questions, thank David you, Forbes. Uh, anything cool that you want to share at the end maybe some new music that's coming up yeah or I mean I've got the brand new track um, Take Me Up due mm -hmm. out on in April on Who's Afraid of 138 and remix I did for Mark Sherry that's due out on the, the 8th of April and mm -hmm. I think the, the Who's Afraid of 138 track's due out on the 22nd I'm sure 22nd of April so I'm really excited about um, those two tracks it's, it's, it's a busy month for me um, for music and it's a busy next six months for music you know I've got so much locked in techno tracks yeah that it wants a bit of everything yeah yeah a bit of everything you know I'm, I'm really excited I'm really excited for the, the music that's coming up in the next six months one, one last thing I want to know is that have you ever considered doing master classes yeah, I would, I would. I would actually do. I see Armada does a master class. Yeah, maybe maybe should suggest you because I think uh, in in literally in three minutes you already explained me two things and I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So yeah, that okay. must be must be interesting for a lot of people to watch. Yeah, as well. I'm, yeah. I mean, I get I get asked that a lot. I do get asked that a lot. Again, it's just a time thing. I suppose it would be better 
to just do one good masterclass and everyone- Well, do it like Giuseppe. Yeah, yeah. I've watched his masterclass. It's yeah, fantastic, yeah. to be honest. I think I'd come from a totally different angle. I come from more a fairy angle and a tech trance sort of environment, you know, which could be quite cool. Yeah, interesting. Well, thank you so much once again. Thanks, Ruben. That's it for uh, this uh, podcast. Uh, if you want to check more, check the previous episodes. You can check them here on the channel. And I hope to see you next time for a new one. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. To check full episodes of A State of Trance for free, simply visit arminradio.com. A State of Trance returns next week.